What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Just Friends. As always, I'm your host, Mitchell Embry, and this week we were joined in the studio by one of my oldest friends, Mr. Ben Edwards. Ben is a founding member of TAB. He's got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and a master's degree in social work. And it's interesting because I've known Ben for a really long time, but I can only think of one other instance in our lives where we really hung out one-on-one and got to have such an intimate and long conversation like the one we had today in this podcast. And it was for orientation at UofL right before we started college. They invited you to campus for a day, you stay the night, and Ben and I were able to room together. And that's it in like years of friendship. So this conversation is particularly meaningful to me, and I hope you guys are also going to enjoy it. So, full disclosure, it was recorded on November 1st, days leading up to the election, so we talk a lot of politics, which is weird, because we don't usually do that on the show. But I think this episode turned out great, and I loved making it, and I think it shows. But I can't let you listen to it just yet. First, you already know, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google or wherever, Spotify, if you can leave us a review, please do it. If you can rate the show, please do it. It means so much. I've started raking in a couple of good reviews that are going to go on the website, so I'm excited about that. And speaking of the website, JustFriendsPod.com. Head that way, buy one of those three-quarter tees, learn a little bit more about the show, and you can find links there that'll take you to the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash MitchMakesPodcasts, where you can become a patron of the show, and you can give me the validation that I so desperately desire. So before we get back to the show, I should say... I tried some different microphone mounts in the last couple of episodes, and we got a bunch of bouncing, pingy stuff when things touch the table. So, my bad guys, I switched back to the shock mounts. We've made that course correction. Hopefully it doesn't get too distracting, because this was a great conversation, and I am so glad to share it with you. So without further ado, I'm excited to present to you my conversation with our friend... Mr. Ben Edwards. There you go. Yeah, perfect. That's a fist. Sounds right. So you guys didn't do anything really for, for Halloween? Well, you know, we dressed, dressed her up as Snow White, and we were sleepy, oh, a pun on you know being tired parents. <laughs> and we went to her brother's, just hung out, pretty chill. No crazy raging parties anymore on Halloween. Yeah, are trying to stay away from like uh, trick or treating. Did y'all try to avoid that? Not really. I mean, we didn't take her trick or treating because I don't want her eating candy yet. Yeah, she's a little tiny baby. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of wondering how people would respond, like with COVID to trick or treating. I was wondering if there was going to be like a bunch of people who were just like, "COVID's not real." <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people just put a table out with yeah. candy. Mm-hmm. So, like her brother had a little station and hand sanitizer on it. And we just sat in the driveway away from it, talking, hanging out while people came up and got the candy. But he puts on a whole production. I mean, his house is crazy looking every year. Can't imagine the amount of money he spends on decorations. <laughs> I don't have the... I just don't want to put them up and take them back down again. My main thing is I just don't want to have to do that. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah, so every year when I do Christmas like decorations, I have like a box of Christmas decorations. I put those out. That's all I do. Because I also don't want to be the person who leaves their decorations up until, like, June. And I definitely would be (laughs) if I put out too many decorations. I'm too lazy for it. I know myself. 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. When I go running around the neighborhood and there's a nicely manicured lawn, nicely decorated, I'm like, that's a nice house. That looks good. Right on. Yeah. But I'm not going to do that in my house, you know? Yeah. So. It's interesting for me to hear you call yourself lazy because I definitely don't think of you as being a lazy person. What's the difference, I guess, in lazy and like, I will do a lot for things that are stimulating to me. Mm -hmm. So I will go and run 18 miles or, you know, try to do some intense CrossFit workout, but that's enjoyable, you know, gratifying. Manicuring a lawn and stuff like that, not as much. Really? See, that's different for me. I think it's the exact opposite. I get a lot of joy out of like tending my lawn and like keeping things nice. And I do not get a lot of joy out of going, well, that's actually not fair. I have learned later in life to kind of enjoy physical pursuits more and like to, but it's more of like a delayed gratification kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to feel good about it like after I've suffered a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love that as much. I'm a glutton for pain, you know, so. Yeah. I feel that has that always been true about you? Because you were also like fit when we were kids too. I think we were pretty athletic naturally, me, TJ, Sam. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we always did a lot of active stuff. Luckily, video games didn't become a thing until we had developed a healthy outdoor physical regiment, you know. So, always riding bikes and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. It's just fun. I mean, yeah, we were always playing some sort of sport. So, I'd say it's always been like that. Yeah. I remember when I first started hanging out with you guys, you were always asking me to, like, come over and play basketball. And I was like, I don't fucking want to do that. <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Basketball, we did street hockey mm. or like rollerblading, jumping ramps, stuff like that. I don't think I was around for the ramps, but I definitely heard stories about it. Mm-hmm. So you, did you guys always, I mean, how long did you guys live on that house over off of Miller's Lane? Shit. Uh, let's see. I feel like I remember moving back from Michigan the year I turned nine. And then we moved over to the Brookview Apartments by Doss. Very janky little apartment complex there. I don't remember how long we were there. Maybe two years or so. And then started school, started high school. Well, shit, no. Let's see, this this is a problem. I don't remember any of this. (laughs) (laughs) It was a while, right? Because I remember living there and going to Dixie. Yeah. So I was in elementary school. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I started high school at that house. Really? Yeah. What about middle school? I mean, you went to Stewart, right? Yeah. So I went to Stewart. So all through middle school. So several years. We did a lot of fun stuff in that house. We would have huge LAN parties in the basement. That was super fun. We'd play Halo and shit like that. Then we'd go over to that church and we did a lot of stupid shit. (laughs) And just like the parking lot and the, the field next to that church right off of Valley Station Road. New Bethel? Yeah, New Bethel. Yeah. There's a lot of fun memories there. There's some videos from high school that were turned in as like school projects of us pretty much just bullshitting and hanging out. In well, the which line. ones? I mean, we did the whole dragging each other behind Ben's car. Did we videotape that? Yeah. Someone was in the trunk. Oh, that's brilliant. Recording the person holding yes. the, the trailer hitch. God. Yeah. In the tab cab, you know? Mm-hmm. Good times. I always... Worried like there'd be a shard of glass or a nail in the field and it would just like rip me open as I got drunk over it. But <laughs> yeah. you know, it was worth the risk. I don't think I ever actually did it in the full craziest way where you like grabbed onto the trailer hitch and just was drugged behind the car while exhaust fumes blew in your face. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I waited 
until we had gone back to my house. I don't know if you remember, we upgraded and we got like a 12 foot rope and an old sled. Mm -hmm. And then we were dragging the sled behind the car because I didn't want my belly. Because even with, if there wasn't like a, a nail or something like that, the grass tore y'all's stomachs to pieces. Yeah, it wasn't too bad though. <laughs> and I guess it goes back to me saying, you know, I was glutton for pain, it taking risk. Somewhat controlled risk. You know, I knew I could get hurt, but I knew what it was that was going to hurt me if it hurt, you know? Yeah. And even when we used to ride our bikes everywhere, I don't know if you ever did that with us. We used to ride from our house up to the library by Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'd play like stickdeath.com and addictinggames.com. And then we'd go to the dollar store, maybe get a toy. Right by that Walmart? Mm -hmm. it's, still, it's still a Walmart, isn't it? I don't think so. It's not. I think it's some Marshalls or something like that. Maybe it know. is, yeah. And then we'd go to McDonald's and get like a spicy chicken sandwich <laughs> and orange lava burst. You know, that was the day back then. Yeah. But we used to like intentionally wreck, or at least I did, like wreck our bikes and just kind of like stunt stuff. Never got hurt doing that. I never broke a bone and I always thought that was impressive because we always did a lot of stupid things. Mm -hmm. Jumping off roofs or ramps and wrecking bikes. So, I've been fortunate. Let me knock on wood here. As I'm getting, you know, a little older, <laughs> still diving for balls in the outfield, you know. Yeah. I was never like that. I was never the one to go seeking after, like, risk. And, in fact, when I would, like, I had a friend when I was in elementary school named Charlie, and he would take me on long bike rides, similar to that. And I would always feel very uncomfortable. And then one time we were, like, uh, he took us, me back in the woods where him and his buddies had taken shovels and like built like this vert kind of thing. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to get myself killed back here. I'm going to die. So, but I remember one time I was hanging out with TJ. He came over to my house and he was like, we should walk to this girl's house. Her name was Jacqueline. He was like, we should walk there. And it was probably, it was, now that I think about it, it wasn't even a far walk, like maybe two and a half miles. But like, I was like anxious the whole time. I was like, damn TJ, like how far? away are we going to get from like our house mm -hmm. and we were in middle school we were totally old enough so i think when i think about that like i missed opportunities to do that because i was shy and like i didn't have a lot of friends so i didn't have a lot of reasons to go on like big adventures hmm. you guys did that a lot though i guess all the time yeah <laughs> i mean we were always on our bike ride of the valley deer freeze or getting up to that little shopping center yeah i mean but that was again a little bit different than kids today. I'm not trying to, you know, like, oh, this generation, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you had to ride to your friend's house, see if they were home, if they could hang out, what was going on, make plans like that. You couldn't just text or, or whatever, you know. And games were a thing, but still there was no internet gaming. You did LAN parties, and that, that was a lot. So, I mean, if you didn't want to be bored out of your mind, you were outside hanging out with your friends. Yeah. Doing something. That's an interesting point. The last guy that I talked on here made, he talked about how like he learned to play guitar just because he was bored and he didn't have anything else to do. And now he worries about kids these days, like never being bored because they always have like a dopamine pump in their pocket. So mm -hmm. they always have something to keep them entertained. When I was young, I would, if I got bored, I would read. I was way more into like stuff that I would do by myself. Mm -hmm. I would read or I, would, I, I watched a lot of TV, like a shameful amount of TV. <laughs> That's how I got so fat. I remember one time, I don't know if you remember this, we went sledding at JCC. We were older when we did this. Mm -hmm. I remember the hill. We walked from Ural's house on Miller's 
up to JCC. We slid down this hill. And then afterwards, you guys walked back to your all's house. But I went by myself. I think I might have even left a little bit before you guys were done sledding to head back to my house. I thought that I had an orientation as to where I was at and to where I was going. I was totally wrong. Have you heard this story? I don't think so. Man, I was so wrong. I thought I knew how to walk back to my house from where we were, but I was mistaken. I didn't actually know how to get back. We had walked like through some neighborhoods to get to where we were in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I just had no idea where I was. So I take off walking towards what I think is my house. And in fact, it was actually the right direction. But the problem was, is there was like three fences in between me and my house in the direction that I was walking. And it was in the middle of the winter. There was snow everywhere. We had just been sledding. So I walk across JCC's campus. Everything is white. Everything looks the same. Nothing is distinguishable from anything else. But what I see in the, the distance is, I think, Stewart Middle School which is where we went to middle school. So I know how to get home from there because I walked home from school every day in, in middle school. But I get to this fence that's in my way. And I'd say the fence is like eight feet tall. I'm, I have on like eight layers of clothes. I'm like, I'm not climbing this fence. So I ended up, <laughs> I ended up like finding a spot where the fence was like off the ground a little bit. Like I dug out some snow and I climbed underneath it. I was filthy. I was soaking wet. I keep walking and I finally get to like the football field. Um, at JCC and the the gate the fence there was cut somebody had cut it and I went through a hole and then finally at that point I knew where I was at but in like the probably 20 minutes before I made it to a place that I recognized the amount of fear and anxiety that was in my heart because I thought I was lost and I didn't have a cell phone I couldn't call anybody mm-hmm. I was like a 8 minute drive from my house but like that was reality for me I was terrified and then I I ended up getting home and all my clothes were frozen solid. <laughs> it was it was a pretty interesting experience for yeah. me. I don't know. I mean, we walked everywhere if we weren't riding our bike. And I just think, you know, imagine doing that today. Yeah. You know, so obviously we were too young to drive. We're walking to go sledding from our house in uh, what's the Valley Meadow Way mm-hmm. to JCC. It's a decent walk. That's like mile and a half to two miles. Yeah. Yeah, at least. If you were to actually drive like main roads, I'd say further, but we walked like mm-hmm. the most direct route we could go. Mm-hmm. And that was like nothing, you know, you'd have the energy to do that, go sledding and then come back and then do some more, you know? Yeah. So now it's just like you know, getting out and cutting the grass is like, oh, of course that's for things that aren't that stimulate. Right. Sledding was like getting out of the house, away from our parents, out into the world where we could say whatever we wanted and do whatever we wanted and act however we wanted. Basically be whoever we wanted in those moments. Mm -hmm. Like that was thrilling and exhilarating and it was exactly what we wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we would have pretty much done anything. We did a lot of stupid shit in order to kind of achieve that feeling of freedom. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is weird to think about it because like, what, we were pretty young. We started just going places on our bikes or walking and being gone all day without phones so our parents don't know where we are unless we went to a friend's house mm-hmm. or we told them where we were going to be but they still don't know maybe like 10 11 you know up you know, up until we could drive like kids today like would you imagine a group of 10 year olds just you know riding their bikes forever without a cell phone without any way to reach an adult and just doing the stuff we did i feel like people wouldn't think that's acceptable yeah i agree with that um, I would, I wouldn't agree with that, but I would almost even be more astounded to find a group of 10 year olds without cell phones 
and wanting to go on long bike rides, you know, because if you've got a group of 10 year olds with cell phones, today's cell phones, they don't want to go for a long bike ride. They can get all of those feelings with porn, like, you know, <laughs> like in their living room, you know. That is a problem. How early kids are probably seeing porn now. I think about modern humans. I'm writing short stories right now. It's one of the things I've tried to start doing, like projects I've built for myself. And I think a lot about modern humans. And I've thought a lot about modern humans in the past when I thought about like raising children and, and teaching children because it's a part of what I did for a long time. And one big thing that I took away is pretty much like in early humans when you were living in a tribe, like from the moment that your kid could walk, there were probably two or three other kids in the tribe that could walk. And your kid hung out with those kids and they took off. They ran off and they just would hang in bands, small groups of kids. And they pretty much had like ranges to which they could they could leave. And, you know, at first when they're young, it's just basically wherever the tribe's at. Any other adult in that tribe knows that kid and mm -hmm. it's going to do their best to make sure that that kid stays alive. So that's positive. But then once they're older, like 10 or 11, like, you know, like they're killing rabbits with in, in little gangs with their homies. <laughs> Like going out and killing, we did that shit. And they'd bring those rabbits back and they'd eat it. They were contributing. And then later they'd grow into like young adults and they'd go off and kill larger game. And everything was about play and it was all about like expanding further and further out. So like you wanted your children to go off on those adventures, even very, very young, like five or six year old kids, because that's what they were going to be doing as adults was going out on big, crazy, dangerous, life-threatening adventures. And you wanted them to have practice. Mm -hmm. But the world we live in now is so different than anything that humans would have experienced for the first like 200,000 years of our existence. At least I think, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, but what I would suspect. So the way that we interact with each other, I don't know. So to give people who are listening context, like you're a therapist. Mm -hmm. So you spend a lot of time thinking about human interaction and, and how to capitalize on it and how to do it in a healthy way, how to organize your life in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Does it seem to you like the world around us is structured in a way that makes that harder than it's ever been before? Well, I mean, I don't know exactly what it was like before this. Right. You know, but it is problematic in the sense that uh, people tend to gravitate towards the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. you I know, definitely do. Comfort and predictability are just naturally desirable. So when it comes to social interactions, communicating, you know, now nobody calls anyone. It's always text, you know. Uh, you don't have to wait for anything. You can get it instantly. You know, that goes back to, like, sexual gratification, pornography versus, like, taking a chance of talking to girls and have, or guys or what have you, you know. Yeah. And uh, having those experiences, you know, it's just easier to kind of have instant gratification. So people are a little more restless, easily disappointed, frustrated. Because they don't ever have to really sit in those feelings. They can always get it to go away, distract themselves, or seek some other way to get what they wanted but didn't, you know. Like the dopamine release from getting a like on Facebook or whatever, as you said. So I do think it's made people a little less comfortable with totally normal, healthy, negative emotions. Mm -hmm. And uh, in children, just made them more impulsive and, uh, I guess, less satisfied. Yeah. I I feel that in myself, though. I feel all, both of those things in myself. Don't you? I mean, like, I find it difficult to settle because I can see people having these amazing 
like what for me would be like life altering experiences out in the world. Like I want to have those things too. It's, it's hard. It's hard to find joy in your life if you are constantly looking at other people who are having experiences that you would desire that you couldn't have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see people compare themselves all the time. You know, you have this like timeline. I talk to a lot of clients who are like, I'm about to be 30 and I'm not in a relationship. When am I going to get married? Everyone's getting married. And it's like, well, you know, if you just wait a few years, you'll see how many of your friends that got married are about to get divorced because they made <laughs> a bad decision because they didn't know themselves or they yeah. weren't happy or they weren't willing to like deal with the ugly, nasty parts of relationships. They weren't ready for that. Yeah. They just also wanted to be married, you know? So comparison is the thief of joy, but you have to put it into context. Like nobody's putting their, unattractive parts of their life on social media. Yeah. You don't know what's talking about how they felt inadequate at work or with their partner or, you know, in any, any form, it's always look at this cool, shiny thing I have. Please give me gratification. So I feel good. You know, I'm not saying that's bad. Like I post on social media. It's cool to share experiences with people, but you got to remember, you know, that's not all they do. Their life isn't just what you're seeing. You know, it's just something they enjoy that they want want people to see it's hard to do that if you're just sitting around and not having experiences yourself but Mm -hmm. you know i think it could be uplifting too it could be like look what's possible you know a lot of it is how you frame things in your mind i'm learning that more than anything and also i'm seeing in myself like patterns of framing things negatively and like thinking to myself shit i do that naturally sometimes Mm -hmm. I i naturally see things negatively i think about us as kids And like the way that we used to hang out and the amount of fun that we used to have, just like most of the time it was pursuing some type of project. You know, we talked about those videos that Mm -hmm. we used to make. I mean, there was a point where we took a camera on to everything that we were doing. Mm -hmm. Just, just, and, and we weren't even doing anything interesting. So, I mean, like even we were kind of feeling that like desire to share our experiences and to capture our experiences, even when we were kids. Mm hmm. So, because mm-hmm. I know that you and I have thought, spent a lot of time thinking about a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. What do you think was like motivating for you to become a therapist? Like, because cause if it had been me, I would say that it had started with me trying to figure out the things in my life that were causing me to stumble. And then upon like discovering those things and learning more about them, just took me along that pathway naturally. And then once I had invested time in it, that's why I was thinking about like, maybe I should pursue counseling or something like that. Was it similar for you? Well, I mean, for a long time, I thought I'd be a cop. Yeah. I always wanted to do something that I felt was helpful. You know, that was my motivation to be a police officer. wasn't, you know, like to be some badass who, you know, kicked down doors and shot people. You know, it was, that's a helping profession that I think I could do and would enjoy and would give me like different experiences day to day, like a desk job, which I guess therapy is a bit of a desk job, but there's still some variety to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just didn't seem stimulating enough for me. I would, you know, wouldn't be able to keep focus. I probably have a lot of deadlines I wouldn't hit, you know, if I was doing work like that. So that's where it started. You know, I wanted to do something that was helpful, something that had unique experiences, stuff like that. So, I mean, it was kind of just a transformation from wanting to be in the helping profession as a police to, I ended up as a probation officer, which was, you know, kind of pseudo-police, pseudo-social worker. 
and just talking to people who are coming out of prison or just getting into the criminal justice system and seeing like the barriers to integrating into society in a meaningful way and just kind of like the second class nature of people in that situation. I thought it was kind of, you know, bullshit because I'm sure a lot of people listening have done something that's illegal and if they had been caught, maybe would have ended up in trouble with the law or Mm -hmm. something like that. You know, it's not like everyone's a saint. People make mistakes. So I got more interested in the, like, trying to help them make better decisions and hooking them up with resources and stuff like that part of it. So it led to exploring a graduate degree in social work, which then kind of went from there to become a therapist. That's pretty cool. There's there's a couple of routes I want to explore from that. But I think the first one and the most obvious one is what do you think motivated you to want to have the type of job where you were in service or like you were doing something to make the people or the world around you better? Well, I mean, I think when you're a kid, people ask you what you want to do. There's like a generic list, right? Cop, firefighter, doctor, you know, football player, music star, right? So those are the career fields that are shown early on. So I think that's initially where it came from. And then just in like social interactions with people, I think you get a certain sense of gratification from seeing that you've helped someone. And I think I got a lot from that. Just in my social interactions, I liked to be helpful. You know, part of that can be troublesome if you become a people pleaser and you don't put your needs ahead of others. You know, so I think... I, would, I didn't always have a good balance of that, you know, but I definitely enjoyed feeling helpful. And, you know, it, it's kind of a way to work on yourself a little bit. People with anxiety tend to be very empathetic because they know what it feels like. And they tend to be the people that end up people pleasers because they don't want to upset anyone or they don't want to make them feel the way they feel. I wouldn't say I was necessarily doing that, but there was some of that at times. So I just think I really enjoyed knowing I was helpful, seeing someone benefit from an interaction with me and just giving back. Yeah. I also received a lot of, you know, acts of kindness from people in our life, like the people at the Mormon church who gave us food and stuff, help us out uh, in financial situations, or like coaches that show that they cared about more than my athletic ability and my family situation and stuff like that. That made a big impact on me as well. So just appreciating when people invested in me and how it felt to see that I helped somebody, I think really drove home the the desire to be in a field of service. You know, I'm being a little bit selfish right now to the listener because you and I have never had a chance to really sit down and have conversation like this, I feel like. And we've been friends since we were like children. Mm-hmm. But I haven't. I have all this context for like what you're telling me and, and the, the listener doesn't have that. So it's almost unfair. So I think we should probably talk a little bit about like you as a young person. And we didn't talk about this with TJ at all much really, but like, did you guys live in Kentucky first and then move to Michigan and then move back to Kentucky? No, we, we lived in Kentucky. I was born on Fort Knox. Yeah. Cause your parents were in the military, right? Mm-hmm. And then we moved to Radcliffe, Radcliffe till I was about, Seven, and then we moved to Michigan because my parents were separating, and her family's from Kingsley, Michigan, tiny little town up there. And then after a year up there, we moved back 
It's Louisville. I've heard you talk about Michigan a lot. I guess it was just a, a huge change. You know what I mean? Like a dramatic upheaval. And so one of those experiences in your life that like shines brighter than some of the other ones because it was so novel and so different. I don't know. It was only a year and like the whole separation of the parents thing. I didn't, I wasn't like very emotionally affected by that at that point. Like my mom was a stay at home mom. So I was used to being home with mom all the time while dad was at work. So I wasn't like, this is a huge unrooting in my life. It was actually kind of cool on the farm because we lived on a farmhouse that we rented. You know, Michigan had a lot of snow, so we were snowboarding or we were riding four-wheelers or, you know, we were still very active at that time. So all this land, all these things to do, it was actually quite fun around the house. Socially, it was different. You or in a small town in Michigan where there's like one stoplight and like four buildings other than the school. So there's a bit of racism, as you could imagine. Mm, I bet there was. So that was an interesting experience. I didn't really know what it was while it was happening. Really? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't like, oh, you inward, you know, because they're little kids. You know, they say stuff like, uh, I think one kid said I was a, a Hershey bar once. Which didn't really resonate with me. I'm like, oh, I like Hershey bars. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Hershey cool. bars are delicious. Yeah. Was he trying to be hurtful when he said it? Or was he just confused? I think he was trying to be hurtful. Uh, that's not cool. I remember one time I was running to get in line because we went from recess to lunch. So, you know, when they called to line up, you wanted to be further oh, up in line because yeah. okay, you got to get food for it. Bruh. You know, somebody stepped on the back of my foot when I was running to get in line. And it made me trip and smash my forehead into the <sighs> side of the wall. That hurt a lot. I, you know, seemed intentional to me. So I think that was kind of how that played out a little bit there. And then someone, I don't remember it, but I know they had to put someone on the bus that we rode. And I was told because they were using, like, pejorative terms towards us. Because, mm-hmm. as you can imagine, there weren't many black or mixed kids in Kingsley, Michigan at that time. That's interesting how things have changed so much, even in like our lifetime, because I don't know if there's a person alive who would take a second glance at a a little mixed kid. I mean, I'm sure they're still, they still experience the negative side effects of being a person of color in the U.S., but I don't think the, the fact that their parents are of differing race is that big of a deal. But when we were young, I think it was probably a, a very big deal, and especially, especially before that. Does that make sense? I get what you're saying. Like, each generation has gotten better about things, but I don't think it's, it's like, accurate to say it's not still a big problem. I mean, like, white supremacist militia groups are more active than they've ever been before right now. I just think they had a little shame thrown at them by the country making some progress. Is that true, though? Are white supremacist, supremacist militia groups more active than they've ever been? Mm-hmm. Like, even in, like, the 60s when they were, like, like there would be entire cities of people who were, like, militias of white supremacist groups who would, like, actively engage in, like... Well, I think there's a difference between, like, common opinion being black people are bad or lesser versus, like, anti-government, anti-mixing of race, you know, yeah. xenophobic hate groups. You know, it was when Obama was elected that they became more active than ever, which is no coincidence, you know. 
Really? I'm surprised to hear that. I, I, I could definitely hear how you would say that like they're louder than ever or they have more reach than ever because that's true for everybody like because of the internet. Mm-hmm. But I mean like I know for sure that there were like entire towns of hateful racist people who were like all members of the clan in like the 60s. And I don't think that shit's still true. But there are definitely some people who come from areas, maybe similar areas, that used to be like all 100% racist people. Uh-huh. And they've had trauma. And the only place that they have to like be outlets of that trauma is the internet. So they're loud and they're hateful. And there's a shitload of that now. Mm-hmm. But I, I personally would like to think that just the average person in America does not hate a person for something as superficial as the color of their skin. And maybe they're ignorant and maybe that they still contribute to systems that are racist for sure. I I totally, I mean, I still do. I wish I didn't, but I can't help it. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to avoid it, but surely there's not like more people who actively just hate people for superficial reasons. I'm not saying that. I don't think that's true. I think you are more likely, you know, I don't know how many people out of 10, you know, would think, that hating someone based on their race was stupid, but certainly more than in the sixties. So. You know, I'm just saying, like to your point, the clan was like the big group back then. Now there's a bunch of these splinter groups of just people getting together. So I'm not basing this on like opinion. This is like based on like government statistics. So they yeah. track people like this. They're yeah. actively seen as the biggest threat in America. It's, white supremacy or like anti-government militia groups. Yeah. Something is going on in the world that we live in now where there's definitely more polarization than ever. I think it has a lot to do with the internet. And we talked about this earlier a little bit. Have you seen, have you seen the social network or not the social dilemma? Social dilemma. dilemma? No, I have not watched watched it it either. But are you familiar with the concepts? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was listening to a Joe Rogan episode recently and the guy who was on there as his guest was like the the guy who produced the movie and he was talking about how how like there's already a climate because of just the things that are going on in our nation that would allow for this polarization to take place and then you just like the the social social media and the internet it's like throwing gasoline on a fire and just like people are so so polarized and so opposite but I don't know, something in me tells me that that's not true, really. Yeah. I mean, it's more evident. It's more visible, which is problematic because social media. But I do think, like, particularly now, because it's like an election year, both sides are pretty polarized. Like, we view everyone in, like, a monolith. It makes me think of the Keen Pill skit with the black Republicans. Yeah. We are not a monolith. <laughs> Have you seen that one? It's pretty good. <laughs> I love their stuff. So, like, um, you know, if you're a Trump supporter, you're an ignorant racist. If you support Biden, you are a a liberal tree hugger. I believe there's a lot more people in the middle of that spectrum. Yeah, but we're forced. We're forced to choose one or the other. And because of the way that our society is structured now, people who want to try to take office have to pander to the extremes. Mm -hmm. They have to. So you end up with a person like Joe Biden, who's like clearly not fit to be president and like is 
an old sick man who's pro- a little bit creepy. And then you get somebody like Donald Trump who's wacko and just like seems like he might be on speed. <laughs> and and it's like, what what in the world have we done? But then I, I listen to some of my smart friends and they're like, these are the leaders America deserves. We've allowed ourselves to get so stupid that this is what we end up with, you know? Yeah, I do think it's something we've we've created. I mean, you don't have to pander to those extremes, but you have to get people to vote. And those people are going to vote because they feel very passionate about the issues where someone who might be less, like, triggered by all this might not be as politically engaged. So they, they have to win an election, so they have to get somebody, you know, you see all the excitement behind Trump at his rallies and stuff. You know, those people are going to vote. They're engaged. They're activated. They feel they feel like someone is, you know, speaking to them that hasn't before. But I don't even think, I mean, I don't know. This is just a personal opinion that, like, the majority of Trump voters are Trump fans like those people at his rallies. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't yeah. know. Those are, like, the extreme version of Trump supporters that, you know, like Jordan Klepper and The Daily Show make fun of. Yeah. You know, there's... Plenty of educated people who will vote Republican even though Trump is the Republican nominee because they like the platform or they believe more in like being financially conservative. I don't think Republicanism is a problem, but the way that it is, you know, covered portrayed like Fox News yeah. and, and everything, like is problematic. But it's really speaking towards those people that are more of the fans. I think. I think a lot of people who find themselves liking Donald Trump, they like things about him that I like about him. You know, he's like an outsider. Makes I, I would like to have an outsider president for sure. I don't want to be Donald Trump, <laughs> but I'd like to have an outsider president. Mm-hmm. So it's like there are things about the president that the way that Donald Trump is doing things that are attractive because they're different from what we've always had, and that's good. But him as an individual and the things that he's doing and – the way that I think he's probably like a narcissist and like really only gives a shit about himself. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the person I want leading us. But I also don't want Joe Biden, like an old creepy man who can barely string a sentence together and who like, if you look at his past, has not really represented progressive ideas and is not. And, and also like Kamala Harris, his running mate, who the awesome thing about her is that she is a minority woman. That's fantastic. I definitely want a minority woman president. Mm-hmm. I want the right one. No, I get that. And I I do think that Biden and Kamala Harris are held more responsible for their past Well, that's decisions crazy true, yeah. Than Trump. It's like he's avoided any kind of responsibility. He has this really unique ability to where he says something really fucked up. He didn't mean it. <laughs> and, and then if it. he says something that, you know, uh, maybe wasn't like hard or firm enough or right they would say you're you're missing the subtext or you're not reading between the lines it's like everything he says is right if you hear it right Mm -hmm. and somehow biden and kamala harris don't get that same privilege you know they're they're guilty of the crime bill and of aggressive judicial practices you know donald trump i don't know that he's a racist i think he like equally hates i think maybe not hates i mean he's definitely prejudiced like does trump look at a black person and it's disgusted with them. Like, I don't know. I guess you have to look at your definition of, of what you think racism is. He definitely has stereotypes 
But I think he views things in like, what's going to benefit me? So when he doesn't want black people in uh, an apartment complex that he owns, is he thinking, you know, this would make it less desirable? This will drive down property value? Or is he thinking, I just don't like blacks, you know? I understand what you're saying, yeah. So like, I don't think either one of those is good. The results are racial disparities, you know, but he doesn't have to deal with that. He doesn't yeah. have to be held accountable for that because he wasn't a politician. He was a, a businessman. I don't think he's a businessman. I think he's a con man. You know, I think he's conned his way to where he is now. And well, his dad was a rich businessman. Yeah, I mean, he and got so a that's... small loan of a million dollars, and I'm still waiting on my dad to give me mine. And when I get it, you know, you'll start your you'll start your empire. Yeah, I'll do just fine. <laughs> but, yeah, I understand. You know, it, it's it is crazy to me that I don't know how he did it. Maybe I'm not intelligent enough to see it. Maybe it wasn't even Trump. It was just like the way that the Republican Party covered politics. Hillary was this evil person that I think she is, couldn't though. be trusted. I mean, the Clintons have their problems, but are yeah, they worse than gross. Trump? Like, how do you how do you say like Trump is this disgusting person? But I, you know, I'm more comfortable with him than than the Clintons. And you know, I didn't even vote for Hillary because I didn't like her. You know, I voted. Third party, but really, if you're a Democrat in Kentucky, your vote for president doesn't matter. You know, it's going to be a red state through and through. I still vote, you know, uh, but still, like, it's effective. You make Hillary look bad, you make her look shady, you make her seem like she can't be trusted. And even if they won't, if a person won't vote for Trump, they won't vote for her. And I didn't vote. So it works, yeah, you know. It does. I didn't either. Yeah, but, um, you know. But I definitely. But I mean, and that's not just happening by the DNC. I mean, like that's happening by other countries, Russia, mm -hmm. China. They're they're influencing back to social media. That's all on that documentary. They're using social media to disseminate memes mm -hmm. that undermine political candidates and s s things that seem innocuous, things that seem benign, things that seem like something that like a thirteen year old had made. But still, people latch onto those things because, I mean. Even the even the origin of the word meme is based on the idea for gene. The, the the word meme is based off of the word gene, and like the way that genes are passed on from generation to generation, and they change and they influence the way that human beings look and interact with the world around them. Memes are passed on from person to person, and they impact the thoughts that you have. So like even the American people our attention and our thoughts are being bogarted not just by you know political parties who are trying to manipulate us and influence us to vote for a specific person but also by other countries who definitely don't have our well-being in mind and are trying to manipulate us and influence us to vote for the candidate that most represents their interest mm -hmm. it's hard it's hard to be a, an adult human in 2020 it yeah. sucks, man. Well, I mean, none of us are, like, privy to everything that someone in in politics is as far as, like, bills are concerned, like, voting records. And, like, you can find all that, but that's a lot of work. Yeah. So you get what the what the media will give you. And it's just interesting, like, in debates. Like, when's the last time you watched a debate and learned something about <laughs> the candidate or their policies? It's not about that. It's about you being know? entertained. No debate has ever been like, this is how I'm going to fix this issue. This is what my plan will look like. It's Sleepy Joe or, you know, Russia, 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 or, you know, all that crap. You know, and now it's like, well, what did your kid do? And, you know, who cares? You know, like, I don't care 
about Trump's kids and what they're doing or they're benefiting from his name, you know, that's what you do as a parent. If you can benefit your kids and put them in a successful place, you do it. I don't see why that's demonized. I also don't see why Hunter Biden having a Coke problem is demonized. You know how many people in America have drug problems? Like, that's pretty normal. So it just is a waste of time to discuss those things in a debate. And the candidates know that they can get people pissed off about things that have nothing to do with governing the country instead of focusing on what they're politically going to do, you know. Yeah. I think Hunter Biden having a Coke problem is important because it should influence the way that we think about him as a potential future leader. But it shouldn't necessarily impact his father's election. I don't know. I just think it's all so bad. It's all so bad. No matter what, we don't have a choice as an American people of a candidate who legitimately has the well-being of American citizens in mind. And well, that's crazy, We have man. more power, but we don't exercise it. So we accept the two candidates that the part two-party system says are the best. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm super well-informed. I mean, I get my information from sources, and those sources are going to spin a narrative in the way that supports their cause. I'm not, like, going through every vote these people made, like, senators and, and like, every bill they've ever been a part of. Like, I'm not doing that because it would take a lot of time, more time than I'm willing to commit. So that's why we end up voting for who the people in politics say are the best people to represent our party. You know, so the power we would have is to, like, really vet these people and not say, well, because you're a third party, you must be a lunatic, you know? Like, if you're a third party candidate and you make a mistake, you're screwed. Like when Gary Johnson said, what is Aleppo? And he got a ton of shit from that. You think Trump knows what Aleppo is? <laughs> and, you know, I think his response was, like, legitimate. Like, well, you know, I may not know all that, but I'll have people in my cabinet that do. Mm-hmm. And I'll yeah, that makes sense. They'll give me information and we'll make a decision on that. Well, yeah, the president's not some genius who knows everything. So, I don't know. But But most humans, so this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where I really think a lot about ancient humans. We're only just like this next small iteration of Sapien. Thinking about like really complex issues like that is something that humans have only been doing for, we've only been capable of doing it for like 200,000 years. And only, only the most unique individuals, the ones who have been placed in circumstances that allow them to rise to these crazy pinnacles of what hum- the human experience can be, have been allowed to make the decisions about what happens as we move forward with all of this craziness that is this global civilization that we've created. But the average person interacting with that, th- th- they didn't have all those privileges. They weren't in- included in all of that decision-making, and they, they, they don't understand it, and they don't have access to all of that information. And they're basically just kind of going through life trying to figure out what's best for them and their family, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we have to have people who are thinking about those people and are doing what's best for those people. The people who are just regular old humans, who've never had access to millions and millions of dollars and and all that comes with that. And there's nobody who's doing that, man. There's not a single person, I feel like, who's doing that. And that freaks me out. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why it's so important to vote in, like, for senators and local yeah. elections. Like, I think you can see more of an impact from that than the president. 
like the presidential election is the one that people view as the most important because who's the leader of the country. But you know, Congress is pretty significant. Yeah. Your local representatives pretty significant effect on your day to day life. So that's why I was bummed when Charles Booker lost the primary to Amy McGrath. Nothing negative about Amy McGrath, but I really liked Charles Booker's hood to holler campaign. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I feel like that strikes right to the core of Kentucky's issues. It's like like the same problems that are affecting young minority people in inner cities are affecting young in white people in, in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. So they don't have enough money and they're dealing with the despair that comes with that in the way that humans do by seeking comfort, like you were talking about earlier, in things like drugs and alcohol and addiction and, and all of that other stuff. I mean, it's rampant. Mm-hmm. And, no, I agree with that. So I was bummed when when he was no longer an option because yeah. I really liked him a lot. But it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm not even super engaged. I feel, I feel irresponsible. It's easy not to get engaged because the answer to the questions is difficult. And if you make an opinion, then, you know, people are going to attack you for that opinion. Yeah. That's the nature of having opinions like that, you know. I do find it interesting that you bring up, like, the hollers or let's not even go there. Like, just say, like, your stereotypical blue-collar worker. So, like, you know, construction, your trade skills. You know, they're really pandered to by the Republican Party, I feel. And... You know, they have a lot of pride in the work that they do, which is good. I, I find pride in my profession. Um, so, But, you know, they're against things like a, like a universal health care or a single-payer system. And I really hate the way the insurance is done in America uh, because you're kind of like beholden to your employer. Like so much of your life depends on having a job that will cover you to live. You know, like I had my appendix taken out. Two months after I got coverage under my employer, because you had to do that month-long waiting period. Like, what has that happened? A lot of it's like 90 days, I think, too. So yeah, for some people. three months, right? Yeah. So what happens if my appendix blows up before I get the insurance? Now I got a $20,000 medical bill Goodness that gracious. I can't pay for. Yeah. You know, like, how ridiculous is that? And these people who have trade skills, like, there was a survey, and I don't remember exactly who did it. I mean... I can get it if you want that information. Nah, but, you know, they were like, what? It. what's the American dream? So they asked people, is it owning a home? Is it saving money for your children's future? Or is it being your own boss? And which one of those do you think most people said was the American dream? I would say owning your own home would be what I would guess. It was being your own boss. Really? That's what it would be for me. Mm-hmm. So think about that. You're an electrician. You have a trade. You have a skill that other people don't have. Right. What's one of the biggest barriers to just going out on your own and being your own boss? Healthcare. Health insurance, yeah, you're right. Yeah, how am I going to pay if I get sick? Yeah. I need to work for this guy so he'll cover my, my health. I just view it as like economic freedom. Yeah. To not be tied to an employer. And there's this like illusion that you have consistency or choice by having a health, by an employee-provided healthcare system. Like how many times has your employer during open enrollment changed the plan, changed the options, because they shop for what makes most financial sense for them. It's not based on what you want. Yeah, or what you need. That's a really interesting point of view that I've never heard taken about healthcare. I mean, there's I've heard tons of criticisms of healthcare, but that's the first time I've ever heard it framed that it takes away economic freedom. Yeah, but I've I've never heard it said 
by any of the candidates who want universal health care. They talk about health care as a right. And, you know, I get that. But, like, that's not what people care about. Yeah. You know? They want to be empowered and they want freedom from others controlling their life. Ben Edwards, 2024. <laughs> so I don't know why that has not been portrayed that way. I worry. I think it might have to do with communication. Like, there are so many people with great ideas who, I don't know... I, Maybe the internet is is an answer for that. It provides a platform for people with good ideas. But right now, the way that we're using the internet de-incentivizes smart people from saying things like that. Because if you were to say something like that, you would immediately be pounced upon. As a socialist or something. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. It's like the problem with making everyone some sort of monolith for certain opinions they have. Like, you can have a wide spectrum of political beliefs. Yeah. Some things that kind of fit in the more Republican idea versus some that are more liberal, Democratic, you know? Yeah. Or even those even, even those words, Republican, conservative, mm -hmm. liberal, Democrat, they mean different things, mm -hmm. but not in the minds of the American people. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I hate politics. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about politics? I listen to, like, political podcasts, and I try to take in media from both sides of the spectrum just to kind of get a sense of what is the thought process. I don't know. It's kind of like doom scrolling. I think there is some attraction to like things that are, I don't know, stressful or chaotic, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's like a train wreck. You can't look away kind yeah. of deal. I think I do maybe a little bit too much of that. It can be a little disheartening at times. Yeah. I never heard of doom scrolling before, but I heard about it recently. I didn't know people, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I, I avoid, politics because the the moment i read a political article regardless of its affiliation i immediately think these people are trying to manipulate me because i don't trust the media mm -hmm. and that's a huge problem also like i don't trust anything that i see anywhere mm -hmm. and it's even hard to fully trust the people that you know you would consider a trustful source like sometimes i'm listening to a podcast and they say something i'm like that's ridiculous but like the media sources are too rigid in their beliefs like, it it will always be wrong what the other side thinks. Well, that's because they're owned, those media sources are owned mm -hmm. by the people whose agendas they are propagating. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you do? So I was listening to that, that podcast of the dude who did the social network, or the, God damn it, the social dilemma the <laughs> other day. And uh, he was talking about how he's so frustrated that these systems aren't designed in such a way to help us. Like, we have AI that can suggest to us the exact ad for the perfect product that we would like to have to solve this very specific need that's, that directly applies to us. But we don't have AI that can, that can search through all this bullshit information and bring us the closest thing to the truth. I mean, it can definitely search through all this bullshit information and bring us the thing that we're most likely to click on, <laughs> the thing that's most likely mm -hmm. to piss us off. Mm -hmm. Why can't it bring us the thing that's the closest to the truth? But I think the problem with that is, it's like, how do you determine what is true and what is not? Yeah. I mean, you, you do have to, you have to be more involved than just taking what you hear for granted. It takes time and energy. And life is busy, and it just doesn't make the cut of priorities. You know? So I don't blame people for that. I think, like, just to, like, kind of summarize the differences like in the stereotypical like framework of the Democratic Party versus Republicans, like Republicans are like really, you know, self-reliance, don't need the government, 
pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, take the chains off of economic and business practices, no regulation, you know, this will empower everyone, it will rise everyone up, you know, don't give a man a fish, teach him the fish kind of deal, you know, and then on the other end, it's like, okay, well, what do we have the power to do to help a person from their situation, and can we say they have disadvantages that maybe they can't overcome because they're lot in life, and some people are offended by that even, I think like in the African-American community in particular, they're taking as a definite vote for the Democratic Party, but some of them don't like the idea that they're viewed as like incapable of being successful on their own without help from the Democratic Party, you know. So I get that too. But like working in the social service field, like when I first got my first therapy job, I was still working with people in the law enforcement, like in the criminal justice system um, for like a forensic therapy program. And this was not long after Obamacare. So one of the things we did is every new client we got, we would hook them up with a plan through the Affordable Care Act. And because they were broke and didn't have any money, they get health care for like $8 a year. Well, I personally, that employer didn't really have a good insurance plan, and I had to buy off the marketplace. And I was paying more than I ever did for insurance. So it did screw people over who were in a certain financial bracket, you know. It's not affordable through the ACA unless you're broke. But those broke people, you know, how much it changed their lives. Like I had one client who was able to get dental care done, and it gave him the confidence to go and do a job interview because he was okay with people seeing his teeth because he was so self-conscious about the damage he had done through his addiction and everything of what people would think when they saw his teeth. And how they would assume, you know, he can't be trusted because he did meth or whatever. So he gets health care, he gets his teeth fixed, he gets a job. His life's better than ever, you know. That does a lot for me to see someone benefit like that. But I can't expect people to care about that guy or to sacrifice their money so that he can benefit. Because they may say he made bad decisions and it led to where he was and that's on him. I can't knock someone for feeling that way. And I can't think I'm better than someone because I thought it was good for him to benefit, even though I was paying more for insurance, which yeah. I wasn't thrilled about. Right. You know? Right. Because you're not necessarily in a financial situation to make that sacrifice, and the people who are in a financial situation to make that sacrifice are not being asked to. Mm -hmm. You were. Yeah, but it's like, okay, getting angry at these people who are benefiting from it, like, I also realized I didn't have to go to prison. I didn't have to deal with meth addiction. I didn't have to go through all the struggles that person went through so that I can have $8 a year insurance. Right. I would not trade my place for his. Yeah. But his got a little better. Yeah. That's just how I looked at it. That's a great point of view. You know, you said something earlier about, like, I asked you the question, you know, what makes you care about having a job that helps others? And I also see it here, like, just taking a point of view that helps others. And you said something earlier about how you had had experiences in your life where other people had done that for you. And so I imagine like your point of view is influenced by having been a person in a situation where you needed the help of other people. Mm -hmm. And that that doesn't necessarily mean whether the decisions in that you've made in your life led you to that point or not. When you're there, like you just you just want someone to care about you. You want somebody to help you. You talked about like the Mormon church. 
Mm-hmm. I remember going there and playing basketball mm-hmm. in their gym because it was carpeted. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. Did you ever play that game? It was like volleyball, but you couldn't use your hands. Did you play that? I played that game. That was the weirdest thing. It was super fun. Yeah. I also played the game where we would play basketball, but you could tackle each other. Remember that? No. We would tackle each other because it was carpeted, so we told oh. ourselves that we weren't going to hurt oh, each other. Actually, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, they were very nice people. I mean, even though I wasn't like religious at the time, I went for like, it was something to do with my friends. It was safe and fun and, you know, free food. Like, come on. Yeah, we did that a lot. We did that at New Bethel. We yeah. would go to their like youth group services pretty much every Thursday, I think, because they would have Wednesdays. pizza. Was it Wednesdays? Yeah. And that was when Domino's was garbage and that's what they got, but it was still free Domino's. Oh, fuck yeah. You know? Fuck yeah. Come on. So. Yeah, I mean, things like that make a huge difference. You know, like, okay, so we could be out getting into trouble on Wednesday nights, but we're at church being supervised, having fun. Being fed lies. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there because I was a believer. I was there because, you know, it was fun and my friends were there, you know. Yeah. But but also truths. There were truths that we were being fed also yeah. amongst those lies. We were learning things. Yeah. You know? Even though... That pastor was creepy. I was mostly just trying to, like, get kissed by pretty Christian girls mm-hmm. and eat pizza. Yeah. I hear that. Oh, yeah. I got to pee. Me too. Okay, let's go do let's this. Let's go break. Yeah. Do you remember the time that that guy pulled a knife on us in the parking lot at New Bethel? Right after a youth group. What was his name? I can't remember his name. Such like a douchey name, <laughs> a douche name, and he's like picking his teeth with it. Yeah, like trying to intimidate us. Why yeah. was he so angry? He was angry because that evening at the youth group they had talked about homosexuality and they kind of uh, condemned it. Yeah, and we had kind of said like, "Nah, it's not." I will really. say, you know, I did this, but TJ particularly did this, and he still does it today a little bit. <laughs> you know, if he sees that he's under someone's skin, he just digs and digs. And it was fun to do that at New Bethel, particularly to the pastor's wife. I remember, <laughs> I think he and I got kicked out for arguing with her about whether or not dogs had souls. Yeah. And we were saying, you know, show me in the Bible where it says it doesn't. And she's like, it says it in there. We're like, well, what page? You know, what chapter? What verse? You know. And I think we got a talking to before we could come back. But, you know, I don't remember if we egged that guy on about homosexuality teased him about it or not because he was very clearly frustrated but i could see us doing like we never said anything really mean you know we'd say things like oh you kiss girls (laughs) (laughs) stupid shit (laughs) and people get so angry you know it's like why is that making you so mad yeah and we were challenging their worldview we were challenging who they were as people Mm -hmm. you know we were kids uh, it's interesting to think back about that. I remember one time we were we were at New Bethel. It was after one of those youth groups. We had just eaten the pizza, and we were all looking for sodas. And we found Diet Dr. Peppers that had expired like three years earlier. Mm-hmm. And Drew drank one and just like immediately projectile vomited. Well, we were having chug-offs. It turned into a game, because I did too. And like, I didn't finish the game because it instantly turned into like a knot in my stomach. It was miserably painful. And so he did. And, you know, he paid the price for it. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun up there. It was a big part of, like, our friendship 
it was throughout like our childhood was New Bethel. Even if we didn't necessarily agree with all the adults there or a lot of the, you know, people who came there was just a good outlet. And they accepted us yeah. still, even though we would egg them on at times. Right. And they were imperfect people who were, you know, who had chosen to follow this way of life, but were influenced by the people around them too. So like if we were a little, we probably were, we were smart ass little kids. Too big for imperfect our in what way? Imperfect in the fact that they're they're also results of the people that oh, created them, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, if if I said the word, what I said, douchebag one time. So, if I said the word douchebag, and they got mad at me and yelled at me and screamed at me and kicked me out, like I was taking advantage of a person who, up to that point in their life, had been taught that that's the way you respond to a situation like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and I knew that that's what I was doing. I was doing it on purpose. I was trying to be a dick to this guy because I wanted to look cool. Yeah. I remember doing that. Do you remember when I did something specifically? We were at like practicing softball up there or something like that. And it was co-ed. There was girls. And one of the girls was cute. So I said the word douchebag. And the guy got mad at me and wanted to kick me out. And I was like, why are you being a douchebag? He kicked me out because I wanted to look cool for this girl. What, Ken kicked you out? Yeah. I don't know if I remember that because he never followed through with us ever playing any games. Yeah. Real bummer. Yeah. I think he just wanted to get us all in uniform so he could watch us run around. <laughs> Still have my concerns about Ken. Oh, gosh. He used to, you know, rub your arm like, oh, look at those muscles. He uh, didn't do that to me. Yeah. He kicked me out because I was the chubby one. He didn't want me there anyway. Yeah. You weren't sexy enough <laughs> to molest. <laughs> Oh my God, I love the direction that this is taken. And Ken, if you're listening, I, I'm not saying you did that. Okay. <laughs> Ken's not listening to this podcast. <laughs> you remember when he got in the news for having like a bring your gun to church day? No. And they, yeah, they did a raffle. Like someone won a gun that night. And it was around the time Obama got elected and all the fears their guns would be taken. Mm. So, I mean, just, you know, kind of more into that knee-jerk reaction and fear about his election. But yeah, they, they made national news for it. That's like, interesting. I didn't know go. that. Look at that. You know, take away that context of like the fear. I think the opportunity to win a gun in a raffle at my Pretty church would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I Free. thought about going to yeah. get that gun. <laughs> right? <real>. Come on. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> what kind of gun was it? It was a pistol of some sort. Oh, damn. Remember. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I have a pistol. I'd rather have like a shotgun. I need a nice shotgun. I don't have one. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I mean, I think all in all, hey, they, if their objective was to guide youth in a positive direction, I think they still achieved that with us. Because, like I said, we were at youth group on Wednesday instead of out doing crazy, you know, stuff we shouldn't be doing. We got around to that too, though. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think we, we ever did anything too crazy, you know? Do you remember when I stole that Confederate flag off that? Your neighbor's trailer. You're supposed to talk about these things. This is confidential <laughs> tab information. All right. The FBI could be listening, Mitchell. Homeland Security. I, doubt, I very highly doubt they're going to come after me for that. Was it a Confederate flag? It was not. It, it was a flag that had the Confederate flag on it. Because I always think back to that and I'm like, did we steal a POA flag? No. If we did, we are terrible humans. No, we stole a... I think it, it was a, a state flag, but had the Confederate flag on it. hmm And I remember grabbing it and cutting it with scissors. And I remember the, 
the sound of the twang <laughs> of the 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 flagpole was so loud as it sprung back into its spot, mm-hmm. and then the dog started barking. I was like, "Fuck, we got to get out of here now!" Yeah. Took off running. Yeah, we did some vandalism, but you know, for the most part, those people deserved it. The deaf guy across the street. He crashed into my car. He was a mean person. He he was a like, mean person. He was abusive to his wife. For sure, he was. You know, like. You only get so much sympathy for being deaf. You can still be a bad person. Okay. So, I mean, he, he pretty much deserved everything he got. And then there was the one. What with did the... he get? He didn't even get that much. No. Didn't they put a, a dead deer in his driveway? Oh, yeah. They did do that. Yeah. That's pretty. I don't think I was there for that one. I wasn't there for that. I know who that was, but that wasn't anybody in, like, the straight, like, group. Uh, and then we put, like, a snowman in his driveway. Like, a Christmas, like, decoration. Blocking his car. I feel like the most thing we did was chop down that person's tree. He was a douche, too. You know? I mean, that's the worst we did as kids. Like, come on. Yeah. You know? That was fun, though. That was scary. It was scary. We ran away, and the guy down the street was looking for a dog, but he was saying he had a gun. You remember that? No. So, this is what I remember. I shouldn't say names. Yeah. This is what I remember. One of us had... (laughs) A butcher knife. <laughs> and for context for the listener, we had a basketball goal at the end of this dead end street. And these people called the cops on us and forced us to have to move our basketball goal. It was your all's basketball yeah, goal. Yeah, they put a, like a city ordinance sticker on the goal that we were violating, violating city ordinance and that the goal had to be removed. Not only that, I mean, every time we played football on the street, he'd come out and bitch about the ball may go crazy and land in his yard and we might have to go in his yard and get it or it might hit his car. All this bullshit. And he got pissed one time because we were throwing a football back and forth across the street and he was driving down the road. So yeah, we were being kind of, you know, angsty kids. And we threw the football across the street while he drove by over top his car, mm-hmm. you know. And he got pissed about that and got out of his car and Fatboy's dad saw it happen and went and like chewed him out. And he was scared to death. Of, you know, this larger black man coming up to him, like, you know, don't talk to these kids like that. Yeah, that was awesome. I remember being introduced to Fat Boy and being so disappointed because up to the point of meeting him, you guys always called him Fat Boy. And I was like, they don't even call me Fat Boy. <laughs> and then I met him, I was like, he was skinny. Yes, he is very skinny. Is it bullshit? Alex. Uh, it's a real name. How's he doing? Is he doing all right? I don't know. He was just one of those neighborhood friends, you know. Yeah, I hope he's doing all right. But anyways, yeah, that guy was a douche. Yeah, he was. But to get back to the story, the tree was rem- was chopped down, and I believe there was also that flag that I stole was lit on fire and placed on top of a birdbath. Did we light it on fire? I don't think it lit on fire. I th- Not was, on the birdbath. It was on fire, but it wasn't on fire for a very long time. Did we burn it, then put it in the birdbath? We tried to light it with a lighter. Mm. It was It was one of those moments where everything was trying to happen very fast because we were frightened. And we're like, fucking light it, light it, light it. We got it lit. We dropped it on the birdbath. And we took off. Oh, man. It burned for like three seconds. And then we all start. We're running. And this this is what I remember. We, we slowed down to a walk. I was out of breath. And a gentleman approached us and asked us, had we seen his dog? And one of us had a big-ass butcher knife. We're I think it was it. hedge trimmers. Was it hedge I trimmers? I think that's how we cut it down. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. It makes more sense. It was a long time ago. I'm not it sure. It was. It was. Yeah, but we shouldn't have done that. 
That was no, all. But... Probably not. Definitely not lighting anything <laughs> on fire or on anyone's property. Which I don't necessarily remember. I felt like we put a burned flag in or over top of it because we were kind of suggesting, hey, you're probably a little racist. Yeah. Which is why you're such a dick to us for like being outside playing sports in the street like a bunch of crazy kids, you know, like how dare we, mm-hmm. you know. But we're responsible adults now. Mm-hmm. You know, it puts things into context. Very responsible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty responsible. My wife sometimes describes me as reckless, but only in like things I consume mostly. <laughs> Not so much in my behavior, really. Yeah. I mean, I know I like to do, you know, fun things or like take some chances. I definitely wouldn't say I'm a thrill seeker. Like I hate roller coasters. Really? I just, I will not do that. You know, I think more in athletic endeavors, mm. you know, taking chances that way, overcoming things that seem very difficult. And compet- you're very competitive. You and TJ are both are really competitive. <laughs> yeah. I wish I had more, like, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with like getting emotional during a sporting event. I do think it's wrong to do it in a D league beer softball game. Sports center's not out there. You ain't winning no money, you know? But I think if I had that edge in high school, I'd have been a much better athlete. Like, as far as like athletic ability and talent, I definitely didn't wrestle to my potential. And I'm not going to say, but for that, I was better than the people I lost to, because I think mental edge is a huge part of any sport. If you don't have it, then you're not as good an athlete. And I definitely lacked it in high school. Like, I always created some narrative where I could lose in winning, like when it was a big match, when it was either for, like, a regional championship or against the number, you know, a top five opponent or something like that. I would always spin it like it was this huge undertaking when I was as good as those people or Mm. had the potential to be, you know. But I think it goes back again. Those people are getting pumped up. And of course, they probably had a little more of that mental strength than I did. But I remember one time a coach came up to me and told me, you're better than this kid. And I kicked his ass. I was like, why don't y'all tell me that more? (laughs) (laughs) I want to feel good. I want to be pumped up going into this, you know. Right. And I... I think I didn't have the confidence to accompany, like, my athleticism. Athleticism. That's an important part of being the best at what you do. Yeah. It's just something that I didn't have then. So, like, now with sports, I do think I am competitive in the sense that, like, I will give maximum effort regardless of the situation. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm still making diving attempts at a ball in a beer league where it doesn't matter because it's fun for me to do something that seems difficult. You know, but I'm not going to get pissed if we lose. You know, like the energy on the team can dip a little and it's not as fun. Right, it does. But I'm not going to be like pissed off. Yeah. Like live to play another week. (laughs) Right. Well, see, you contribute. See, from my perspective, the softball league is so much different because I am just doing my best to try to not fuck up. Because I don't, one, I don't feel that competitive edge that you're talking about at all. But that comes from the fact that I never felt physically competent enough to contribute. And like my dad didn't really play sports. His dad definitely didn't play sports. His dad didn't go to high school. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So like it just wasn't a part of who I was or what I did. I I, like for me, softball is just purely social. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I just I'm there to hang out with my friends and I'm trying my best to not suck. 
because I know that there are other people on the team that care about it. So <laughs> I, I want very badly to do well and I try to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I do badly, I don't, I don't care. And that's also part of the reason why I don't get better. And I understand that though. Part of the reason why I don't get better is because I don't really don't care enough about it more than just wanting to be good enough to make my friends happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> to not be a liability. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got a very good hitting average. I'll tell you that. So, I mean, keep that up. But I mean, none of us are like going out and practicing. You know, <laughs> TJ watches videos and <laughs> I think we've all seen a pretty good improvement in hitting yeah, since those, <laughs> since those videos, you know, he's dropping balls. So <laughs> other than that, that we are what we are. TJ's you know? always been, he's, he's been athletic, but like in an unorthodox way. Does that make sense to you when I say that? I don't think, I think TJ is a very talented athlete. Like even, even now, you know, he's not like out there training or anything, but you can see flashes of his athleticism. Yeah. I think he suffered a little bit of the same issue that I did, but just not kind of owning his I ability. See. That's what was lacking was the swagger. Yes. I did not have swag in high school. And if I did, I think I'd have been a lot more athletically successful. Yeah. So that's part of like why I enjoy challenging fitness endeavors now. Because it's like a way to be like, you know, I'm not going to doubt myself anymore. I'm just going to like find this challenge and crush it. And it's rewarding. Back to reframing things in your mind. You know, it's amazing how much we accept negative thoughts versus positive thoughts. I think being negative is the easiest thing to do in the world. There's no effort required. Even if it's not, even if you're blaming yourself, it's easier to blame yourself than to find an option out because change is hard and because improvement is difficult. So just kind of settle for what you have and be negative. It's easier that way. So, I mean, I think that was a bit of the problems, you know, if we if we had been training since our childhood, maybe we had a little more swag. I don't know, <laughs> but I think we were pretty athletic, just naturally. You're hitting home runs. I hit a home run, and I hit another one to the fence. I think I will hit more home runs as we continue playing because I have gotten a bit stronger over over quarantine. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you started like your fitness page. Yeah, I've been working out a lot more. You know, my arms have gotten a bit bigger, my legs, you know. I could put a little more power into it, and that goes a long way. I think when I was always, and my best batting in softball was always when I was consistently working out. So if I don't have perfect form in my swing, I have a lot of, you know, oomph behind it, you know. I'll tell you one thing I've been thinking about. Like, I lost a lot of weight, and then I was running, and recently I've not been motivated to do that, and I've gotten fat. and. I'm still not motivated to lose weight, but what I am motivated to do is get stronger Mm -hmm. because I used to be strong when I was young and I lost that when I lost weight and Mm. I'd like to get that back. So I think I'm going to start like lifting weights and like working out and like doing body weight exercises and stuff like that. That's where it's at, man. High intensity. We'll see. I don't know how high the intensity training will be. (laughs) Just, I'm just saying like you want to lose weight, like running. Yes, you can lose weight running. Okay. But. I do not think it's the gold standard. It's all, It was also a mental exercise for me too, though. That's a big part of it also that I was trying to do. How can I make myself do this thing I hate mm-hmm. for an hour? You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. But that could, it could, it, I could do the, the same thing with high intensity. You could. I feel like I, it would be harder. <laughs> That's why I probably have avoided it. I enjoy it more. 
than running, I think. I still really enjoy running. But there's the whole muscle development along with the high-intensity training that you don't get with running. I mean, when I was running the most that I've ever ran in the most consistency, I was losing muscle. Yeah. You do too much long-distance cardio, you're going to lose muscle. You're going to lose weight. Yeah. You know, you'll have other benefits, but I'd rather have a little little more muscle, you know. So I'm never going to be like a professional half marathon runner or anything because, you know, I don't want to invest the time into the mileage you'd have to do for that or the impact it would have on my body. Yeah, another thing I think about you when I think about like your athleticism when we were younger was you were explosive and you were always really strong. Mm-hmm. We we lift weights a lot. I was really strong for my size in particular. Yeah, that's really the thing. Yeah, and I think in you know wrestling kind of screwed that up because the mentality and even my coach had he didn't advocate against this. It was a flaw, I think, in the mentality of wrestling was to drop weight. And so, like during before my first season, I was probably maxing like two fifty on the bench. So it's like a sophomore. It's pretty good max at that age. But during wrestling season, I couldn't even do 185, you know? Yeah. What were you getting down to? The lightest I ever weighed was 129. And when I weighed that, I thought, should I drop to the 130 class? And I was like, no, I like to eat every once in a while. <laughs> you know, like right now I walk around around 185. And the day after state, I would usually gain like 15 pounds. And, so, I mean, it just wasn't healthy. I think, you know, eating disorders come out of sports where you watch your weight. I definitely picked up some weird habits, like rubbing my stomach like I would know how heavy I was by doing that. I could tell if I was too bloated or if I felt skinny enough to make weight. You know, mm-hmm. just these little rituals that you pick up. It wasn't good, but it was all part of, like, being better in my mind. But I look back at it, I used to be so tired at tournaments. I'd be falling asleep in the stands, and I'm like, why the fuck am I so tired? It's like, well, you're malnourished. You know, you're probably you're probably tired because of that. You know, so I should have just bulked up or just ate better instead of restricting food. Like, so many things I could have done differently. And then just back. settled into a weight and then wrestled at that weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not the mentality that you have. You want to drop weight. And even with all that, I was still pretty strong from a weight class. Like most yeah. people would would comment that. I mean, pretty strong, you know. But I could have been stronger and healthier. <laughs> I th- I think it's interesting that you learned that in wrestling. Like the ability to like take control of your body and make it be what you wanted it to be. Because it took me a lot longer in my life to learn how to do it. And I don't have nearly as much practice at it, so I suck at it. Which is how I end up getting out of practice at it like I'm at right now. It just all kind of goes back to how people are products of the environments that they come out of and the lessons that they learn. Mm-hmm. True. But I'm excited about the softball game. I am too. What time is it? Right now? Yeah. 12.30. What time do you think everybody's going to get up there? I don't know. There's a text thread about it right is now. Is there? Let's check it out. I'd imagine there's probably people there right now. Usually, they try to get up there two hours before the game if they're going to hang out. Really? Mm-hmm. Do we need to take anything? Should we take beers or anything like that? I would bring beers if you got them. I got some beers. Your brother texts me. Yeah. He's going to lend me a book that he was just reading. Do you think most people know that TJ is my brother? I think so. Yeah, why? 
I'm just curious. We keep talking about him. Well, yeah, we should tell people. <laughs> TJ's your brother. Yeah. <laughs> I would say most of my friends for a long time were just TJ's friends. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, I'd say so. I had a few that were just of my own, you know, but they weren't like consistent friends. Yeah, TJ's a big personality. Mm-hmm. Like I used to go over to Thomas Roundtree's house with him all the time. And there was definitely a point where it became more evident that I was like the annoying little brother that was tagging along. Uh, but it wasn't like bad. I was still welcome to come over. Yeah. But I would <clears> say like, as far as my own friend, even though TJ knew Dave, like Dave was probably like the first friendship I made. Like that was like my like legit friend outside of like the neighborhood friends like Billy and Brandon. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Why do you think that was? Do you think it was just convenient because there was just a friend group there? What do you mean? Like, what stopped you from going out and making your own friends? Oh, I liked CJ's friends and they liked me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. it's convenient. So he just was there. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you would say that Andrew and Kyle and then were TJ's friends. I think it was kind of like a joint effort. Me and yeah. TJ were always together. I see what you're saying. Like, it, it's hard to see yourself as an individual, like, mm-hmm. in, in, except for in that friendship with Dave. Mm-hmm. I see. That's interesting. Let's let's wrap it up. Okay. <clears throat> We're in an hour and 49 minutes anyway, and TJ's already there. Okay. Uh, who do we play? Do you know? I never fucking know. <laughs> Just Neither some other I. group of people. I, I don't even... I know that we're numbered one on the... Yeah, that's right. He's not number one. Yeah, we're number one on the schedule, so I just look for number one and what the... I will say, you know, we did beat the Kentucky Gentlemen in the playoffs. <laughs> um, you know, we're just better than them. <laughs> that's so funny because there's definitely some of those guys that listen to this. Well, that's exactly why I said it. <laughs> we hit... Dingers, and we eat chicken fingers. <laughs> oh, gosh. The team has gotten a lot better. I think it's just, like, jailing right now. There's literally, other than the videos, and I will say, the, the advice is helpful. We have not changed anything else. And when we're all there, we play much better. The lineup works really well. If I get on, Josh is a good hitter. So if I get on, I'm scoring. Josh is going to score me in. And then we have a couple good hitters following that up. So we can put up like five runs in the first inning, you know. And I'll say when everybody is there, I also know everybody pretty well on the team. So I feel Mm. comfortable. Yeah. So I hit better. Mm -hmm. And also I've made friends with a lot of the people. I mean, like even if I don't know them well, a lot of the guys up there have played on our team with us. And so they know me. They know I'm a nice guy. People could take advantage of me. In left field, if they wanted to. Oh, in right field. Oh, in right field, yeah. yeah. They could take advantage of me if they wanted the to. The good thing is you, you had to be really talented, I think, to hit oppo. Yeah. You know, most people hit, they pull, so to me or TJ. And we're fast enough to cover that fairly well. But there are dudes on those teams that could do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they want to be a dick to me, so they choose not to. Well, I hope that, I hope they care about your feelings. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So they hit it to us. I appreciate them also, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But they wouldn't if I was a dick, and that's part of being a nice person, like trying to effectively contribute to groups. I didn't used to be good at that. I've gotten better at that as an adult. One of the things that's interesting about hanging out with friends like you, people I've known for a very long time, is I'm not the same as I was when we were 15, and neither are you. 
Mm-hmm. And that's that's fascinating to me, like seeing people grow and seeing people change because there are lots of people in my life who f- feel the same that they've always felt. And then when I look at them and truly look at them and pay attention to them, I, I see how they're different. And I wouldn't have noticed it if because I, for a long time, wasn't paying attention. But now I am, you know, so it's just really interesting to me. And I'm glad that you came over and we could <laughs> chat, even though this conversation was all over the place. This was fun. and. uh Let's go win a fucking softball game. All righty. All right, brother. Thank you so much for coming over and talking to me. Oh, no problem. It was a pleasure. It was. I do. And there it is, guys. Once again, another podcast in the books. And what a conversation it was. I loved it talking to Ben. He's such a thoughtful guy. And it's just good to get to really have heart-to-heart conversations with people you've known and loved for a long time. I was glad that I got to have this conversation, and I'm glad that I got to share it with you all. If you loved what you heard, please rate the show, leave us a review, and head over to the podcast website, justfriendspod.com. Guys, if you're still listening, you're the best. I appreciate every single one of you. So please be safe, take care of yourselves, be kind to each other, and as always, know that I love you all. Bye.